Hey everybody, it's Jim Mallard here. Welcome to the Mallard Report. The Mallard Report is recorded in front of a live virtual audience on the Duck Pond. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, live. Mallard.com, M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. One more thing before we start. Let me turn it over to my friend that you may know from Ancient Aliens and the Curse of Oak Island and many other things, Robert Clotworthy. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. I want to welcome everybody to this evening's Malliard Report. I think some people... uh, Tune in to see if I burn my house down when I start to light the candle at the beginning of the show. And one of these nights I just might. But never the last... <laughs> that's bad. It's, it's, it's been one of those days and this candle's giving me big trouble. But that's okay. My guest tonight is uh, education advocacy, advocacy pioneer Il- Tilly Evram. She is a passionate school choice advocate and the co-founder and administrator of ParentsForSupport.com. Her website is designed to help... Uh, Students and families find their success online in an online learning environment. Jeez, easy for me to read tonight. Uh, seeks to play a pivotal role in reimagining education serve, education to serve all students in her spare time, which I don't believe happens, but we'll, we'll get into that here in a few minutes. This Colorado native, <laughs> native uh, founded Evron uh, Consulting after two decades of education reform and school choice advocacy. Tilly specializes in grassroots organizing, parenting engagement, school choice policy, and innovative education models. Tilly, how are you doing tonight? I am great. Thanks for having me. Do you have spare time? Uh, everybody has spare time. I think <laughs> it's just uh, deciding how you're going to use your spare time. And I, uh, I don't do a lot of, um, I guess, like the fun things that I used to <laughs> pre-COVID um, because families have really been in a heightened state of um, chaos, crisis uh, during the pandemic. And it's really been an on hand, all hands on deck situation. So uh, I spend a lot of my spare time working. That's just what I do because I love to do it and I love to help help families. Okay, so let's let's delve back, and then we'll come back to all that because I know, um, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to cover. But let's, let's let's go back to the early days. What made you get? In, well, I've, I'm I'm going to assume now. You know, well, my listeners are out there already laughing because they know what that does. Uh, it's sort of with something that happened in your life. What got the, me started on yeah, this on the educational advocacy side of down the road? Because yeah. I'm sure that's all kind of so, where it all started. Yeah, so it actually um, all started when I have two children. One, uh, our daughter, Megan, who was my husband's military and her stepdad was military. And so she had a very typical military brat educational experience, moved a lot, um, was had basically, you know, you move to a state, you get transferred to a base. And your kids go to the school that you're zoned into. It used to be there were a lot of Jodea schools on bases. um, But then that kind of changed. Schools got closed. And then you ended up in the district. So she had a very kind of chaotic, you know, upbringing. She was on the move all the time in different schools. Well, we got her through school. And uh, eventually she went on to Penn State. She graduated. She's off living her wonderful adult life. But then we had um, our son, and we did what most people do. My husband retired from the Air Force, and we did what most people do. You ask the realtor when you move to a new place, you know, what's the good school district, right? That's how we've been conditioned in this country that you pick your school based on where you live if you have that opportunity. And as a military family, that was the first time for us we ever got to choose where we lived or where our kids were going to go to school. And so long story short, this school district that we ended up buying a house in, um, on paper, it it was great, right? 
like an A-plus school. It had wealth in the district. We weren't necessarily wealthy, just out of the military. But there was, you know, you paid your property taxes, and the, and the school was, um, you know, had good test scores, those kinds of things. What nobody told us was that this school district had a very long history of teacher uh, contracts that were protracted that ended in teacher strikes. And so my son's first three years of his public school experience were disrupted by teacher strikes, which I think is timely. We just saw Columbus School District um, teachers went on strike today, just a few days before school starting. So, and, and for fun um, reference point, my, my my teachers went out on strike my senior year. So, fun stuff. Yeah. Well, and you're <laughs> in Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was in north northeast Pennsylvania, and at the time, Pennsylvania accounted for over fifty percent of all teacher strikes in the entire country in that previous ten year time span <laughs> before when my son started his public schooling experience and so me I'm from Colorado I never went through that I never had my education disrupted because of labor dispute and so as this kind of outsider coming in I came in and was talking to my neighbors and friends within this district and I said you guys know that this isn't normal like (laughs) this isn't right This doesn't have to happen. Other places, you know, kids go their entire education without people going on strike. And so me being who I am, I started doing research about the teacher contract laws and school board relations and binding arbitration, all these things. And so I came together with some other parents and and we tried to what we really wanted was not to ban teacher strikes, but to really make the adults in the situation negotiate in good faith and obviously not use children as pawns in labor disputes. And so that started my advocacy, and uh, I did that work for several years, and nothing changed in the district. Nothing changed. Um, legislatively, there was no political will. And if you know anything, the, you know, the unions have influence and money, right, that parents just don't have. And so that's when I knew, though, we needed to do something different. Because unfortunately, my son um, was targeted because of my activism, my advocacy for children to have the right to continuity and education um, he was targeted in his school and I knew I had to do something different and so at the time we found this new crazy thing called cyber school and uh, this was now almost 20 years ago and we enrolled in a, um, we were one of the very first families to enroll in cyber schools in Pennsylvania And so we did that. And long story short, my son attended uh, online schools in three different states, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and then in our home state of Colorado over the course of 10 years. And he graduated and went on to college and, you know, had a really wonderful, enriching educational experience. And during that time, though, um, I realized as a parent, I had to fight really hard to get my kid the education that he needed and he deserved and that I as a taxpayer uh, paid for and had an expectation that that my son would get a a great public school education. Um, But I learned that one size doesn't fit all and families need options. And that started my advocacy for online learning and school choice and eventually I led a national organization that fought for public school options all across the country, and uh, which then led me to today that I do education consulting and work with parents and educators and students all across the country, uh, supporting them as they navigate online learning. But that's, that's <laughs> the last 20 years in a nutshell. Well, I knew I knew it was going to take a minute, so don't don't feel bad. I I knew there was a lot to unpack there, and I'm glad we did. But okay, well, let's do this. 
Let's get after it. Duckpondshop.com. Let's get after it. Duckpondshop.com. Okay, so you were an early adapter to cyber online education. Uh, what? Yeah. Uh, that's that's where my kids are now, and I'm sure yeah. I'm sure it has changed a great deal since you started. But what made you decide to go that route in the first place? Because I mean, there's a lot of great brick and mortar schools. I use big air quotes. Yeah, well, Did you see them? You know, when when we started, though, this was really at the dawn of the charter school movement. And we were in northeast Pennsylvania, Abington Heights School District. We lived in Clark Summit. Um, there were no charter schools at that point. Um, those were really concentrated in urban areas. We were more in a suburban, rural area and the only other option outside of the zoned school would have been a small parochial school and my son you know during the course of all this upheaval with the teacher strikes I mean at one point they the teachers were out of the classroom for six weeks until they were court ordered by a judge that's a huge disruption right but During this time, we figured out my my son had a learning difference. And so when we started thinking about, you know, this this school district is not serving him well. He's not getting what he needs. But what, what are our options? Well, it was basically traditional homeschooling or private, you know, Catholic education. And I, I attended the Jesuit University, so I don't, I don't have a problem with that. But I, I really was concerned that they wouldn't have the support that he needed, right? Right. And so, and then on the homeschooling front, I'm not an educator by trade, right? That wasn't what I went to school for, and so um, I was so nervous. And so, but we, we lived in a community that had a very strong homeschool community our church had a very active um, homeschool population and they were so encouraging to me and they were like Tilly you could do this and so I was doing all my research and one day my son and I went up to the library to check out books and I saw an an ad that this new type of school was going to come and do an info session and so I went And then I found out that a different school provider, online provider, was going to do an info session. And so I went to both, and it was at the second one that I had that kind of light bulb moment, like, this is what we've been looking for, and I think we can do this. I think we finally found something. And within the first six months of having him enrolled, um, I knew without a doubt that we had made the right decision and that he was finally in an environment that was going to see me as a partner in his education, deliver him continuity in education and have a world-class curriculum. And he would, he was finally getting really the support he needed and he was getting really quality instruction, um, which was amazing. Yeah. I, I- my route was a little different than yours, but kind of similar. Um, yeah. Well, I'll, 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 I'll summarize the story for you publicly this way. Uh, we left our school district with a non-disclosure agreement. Um, so mm-hmm. <laughs> that tells you how sideways things were going there. So we were mm-hmm. in that same spot. You were researching homeschool versus, versus cyber schools. And so we sat down and we, we're not qualified teachers either. So we really put our, our hats to the cyber school thing and, there's a, a bunch of the elements saying, yeah, and we kind of filtered through them, and then we we had we narrowed it down to a few, and we called them, and uh, one actually answered the phone, and we went to their presentation, and they answered all our questions, and well, that's where we're at. So, yeah, yeah, and at the time, you know, when we chose our, there were two providers in the whole state, so that tells you, you know, how far Pennsylvania's come in advancing the model and providing options to families. Now there's, you know, there's all kinds of online learning options in Pennsylvania. But, you know, within that first year of us being a cyber school family, um, the school was under threat. The, the, you know, they tried to cut the budget for our schools 
which was really just a politically veiled oh, attempt at shutting st- the school down. They're still trying to do that, by the way. And they're still doing. It. I mean, I I was I was online today, you know, debating about school funding in Pennsylvania and this idea. And and this tells you though how hard these families have to fight to keep their options, and how twisted the logic is that somehow our cyber school students we've got to balance the budget on their backs. Yeah. And that is such a twisted and flawed way of looking at education. And the idea that Pennsylvania's sky high property tax is because of cyber schools and cyber school students is ridiculous. Because twenty years ago, when it was only a couple options, they were still trying to blame <laughs> us for the lack of funding or the the budgetary problems in Pennsylvania. So it, it's all it's all a ploy. It's all politics. It's really just an attempt to eliminate the model and options for families. Period. Straight. Well, I mean, I hate to say it, but I'll be the one to say it, so you don't get in trouble. Of course, you'd probably you're going you're gonna to agree with me. It's... I I I've been getting in trouble for twenty years. I'm used to it, and there's nothing that they can say that bothers me. I was going to say the. Uh... There's a certain number of unions in this state that uh, have deep pockets in line politicians' pockets, and that's where it all comes from. Has nothing yeah, to do with families. I, yeah, and and that's you know that's the thing. And like I said, um, I absolutely believe that people have a right to organize and all of that. But there is something I'll just never ever be okay on adults walking out on children. And it just never sits right with me when that is your job. That's your, your one job is to educate children. And when you walk away from them, it it sends the wrong message to children and families and communities. And so we have got to do better as the adults in these systems and acting like adults and negotiating in good faith, being realistic in our demands. Um, and, and again, like, I mean, at the time when I started this whole journey, they couldn't even agree to meet in the stairwell to exchange contract proposals. <laughs> These are adults. And when you start to see the quality of education fall apart, the relationships between parents and educators and educators and school boards and school boards and union members. And it just, it, it's dysfunction and it doesn't have to be that way. We can do better. I believe we can do better and we should, we, we should treat our teachers better. And that means we need to do some things fundamentally different in the systems, the way we pay teachers, you know, administration, all of those things. But we ha- we can't walk out on our babies. They're too vulnerable, and these are the most formative years of their life, and every day of their education is important. And when you walk out on kids, that sends them the wrong message. So um, it, it makes me sad when I see, you know, whether it's in Pennsylvania or any other state, um, contract negotiations turn into strikes because it 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 always hurts kids it always hurts kids and it always impacts families so um that's a whole other conversation yeah so okay so we've 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 drilled down on pennsylvania pretty hard which obviously a passion for both of us but you you're out 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 and about literally or figuratively more than i am because i i hate to say it my horse is tied to Pennsylvania because I have deep passion for Pennsylvania and I live here and my kids go to school here. It sounds like you're you're out a little bit more than me. So take me across the country. How, how does school choice look and these other States that you, you uh, advocate in? Well, you know, it's interesting at this point I have worked and testified, um, gosh, probably in, I don't know, 36, 37 States at this point. And, um, there are some states that are knocking it out of the park, and you'll 
you'll hear about the, the Floridas, the Arizonas, um, West Virginia. Um, you know, they passed this new Hope Scholarship. Of course, it's tied up in the courts right now. Um, so wait, 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 stop for a minute because you're from you're yep. well, you spent time in Pennsylvania, so you know you know where I'm headed here. West yeah. Virginia is leading the way in school choice. Let's just say that again. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly right. Little West Virginia during the pandemic blew all of our minds and passed this really expansive um, Hope Scholarship, which is a education savings account program. Which, if you you're not familiar, ESA programs they take a portion of education dollars right? The state portion, right? And pass it on to parents, that whole idea of funding following the child to the school of their choice. And unfortunately, it's under an injunction. And uh, now it's going to end up in the West Virginia Supreme Court. And so we're hoping um, that that will be lifted so that families can, um, they had thousands of families get approved for this Hope Scholarship, only to have the rug pulled out from under them. And so, unfortunately, um, those dollars aren't being dispersed for the start of the school year. And now we wait. We wait for uh, the case to go in front of the Supreme Court. Um, But again, yeah, West Virginia did this amazing thing. And, you know, I live in Colorado. We have a very robust public school choice environment. But we have no private school choice. And we had a voucher case um, several years ago that ended up in our Supreme Court. It got struck down and nothing has happened since then. And so, you know, my whole kind of, I don't know, ethos or philosophy is that we're about this country. We get caught up on schools and systems. And I would like us to move to creating a culture of learning in every home, in every community, right? So to me, I'm agnostic of the model that families choose. And I understand within one family, you may choose a multitude of options. You may have a kid in a cyber school, a brick and mortar charter, and a public school, right? Because every kid is different and they need different educational situations for, for each kid. And so I'm agnostic to what model that children or, you know, families choose. Um, but I believe wholeheartedly that every family should have a full menu of options, public, private, homeschool, charter school, magnet school, online school, micro school, learning pod, whatever it is, some new option that we haven't even thought of yet, right? Yeah. But they should have a full, full menu of options and they should have the resources to access that. And so we have a lot of work to do. Um, You know, I work a lot with families in New York and New Jersey, neighbors to Pennsylvania who do not have the full-time online learning options that your kids have in Pennsylvania. And those families, they, during the pandemic, they saw what was happening in Pennsylvania and they said, why can't I have that? I need that option for my kids. And so they're fighting now to get what you've had for the last 20 years. So we still have, we have pockets of innovation, but we also have pockets of just education deserts where families are really limited in their options and they need more opportunity. So let's go to the deserts, which, I mean, you we mentioned the New York and New Jersey and the lack of online schooling. Um, yeah. Where, where's the worst? Thing? The worst? I, gosh. <laughs> you can give me more than one here, I guess. <laughs> yeah, ne- ne- Nebraska, Maryland, um, the Dakotas don't have real robust choice at this point. Um, where else? Um, those are the big ones. It's You know, we've made a lot of progress, but there's still, in especially in online learning, we still have a ways to go. Like I said, Colorado, I, I really hold Colorado up as a um, really great example of how to do um, online learning options well. We have dozens of multi-district online schools, 
which means that, you know, say you're in Pennsylvania and I live in Clark Summit, I can, my kid can attend a cyber school authorized out of Harrisburg. We have dozens of those types of schools in Colorado. Then we have single districts, districts who have decided to respond and engage with their families and give their families what they're telling them they want. They say we want hybrid uh, and we want um, full-time online options for our kids. So single districts, they build up their own programs as well. So families in Colorado have a lot of options um, when it comes to online learning. Um, But yeah, other states, they're just dragging their feet And unfortunately, during the pandemic, we saw those states really struggle because they didn't have the innovation already in place. It wasn't really built into their culture. And so those were uh, the states where we saw a lot of packets going home or kids who never returned. You know, we've seen a decline in public school enrollment and we lost a lot of kids because of the pandemic. And, um, it's really discouraging to know we lost kids that will never get back. They've gone on to take on jobs or they've just completely fallen out of the system altogether. And so that's very disappointing. And those states that weren't already innovating and who continue to drag their feet, you know, the third school year into this pandemic, and we can debate, about all that, the politics of the pandemic and everything. But the fact is, is um, states like New Jersey and New York, they there's no reason at this point that they're not offering virtual learning options to the families that need it and desire it because it can be done. And they there's lots of examples um, of, you know, model legislation and programs that they could be tapping into um, to provide more options for their families. Yeah, so you mentioned the packets going home, and our local district was sending packets home, plus doing some uh, Zoom calls, I guess, for the lack of, well, I guess that's what they were. I don't want to say for the lack of a better explanation, but that's what they were. And some parents, I yeah. mean, obviously parents, my, my friends, my parent friends know that I, you know, an online school, and they're like, is this how your school works? And I'm like, oh, God, no. Like, yeah. I sh- you know, I showed some of them, and they're like, you mean your kid can watch the lesson whenever? I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, yeah. like, what? what, what? Those, I'm like, there's no packets coming? Best, <laughs> yeah, those those are called best practices. Yeah. And we worked, we worked really hard during the pandemic. And that's why we founded Parent Support for Online Learning. The night that the first schools started closing on the West Coast and the East Coast, we knew that what was coming was going to be really difficult for traditional schools and the families that they serve. And as longtime online families, we knew we wanted to be a resource. And that's why we founded the group and worked actively to engage with traditional families and systems to help them. You'd be surprised how many just ignored us, resisted (laughs) us, like just you know, we know what we're doing, right? Well, <laughs> what they were doing was not best practices. You know, you shouldn't have a first grader in front of a computer for six hours. That's not online learning, right? That's like online babysitting. But that's not engaging and effective online learning. And so now our problem is so many people had such a bad experience with poorly done remote learning during COVID that now we're dealing with the repercussions. And we've even seen policy come out of because of this, right? People had a bad experience. So now all online learning is bad. And so now we've got to, you know, they, they want to kind of try to make online learning look more like traditional classroom learning. And they're different. They're two totally different things. And so so now we have to kind of deal with the blowback um, from crisis remote learning that, that we experienced during the pandemic, which is which is challenging. But that's why we're here. Yeah, and, uh, there's always going to be a challenge, to, uh, sadly. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Germantown Runner wants me to ask you, waves hello to him, even though video isn't working for me tonight for some reason. Eh, anyways. Uh, <laughs> always something. Always something. What percentage, what percentage of students have exited the public school system? He heard 30% today on the Glenn Bleck program. Wow, that's that's pretty high. Yeah, I've seen numbers all over the place. Um, I can tell you in my home state of Colorado, um, we I haven't seen the enrollment numbers for this school year, right? We haven't seen those because we have an October count date. But uh, during the, the first year of the pandemic, we saw a 40% increase in enrollment in Colorado's online program in our cyber schools, 40% increase. Then we knew when schools started to open back up that we would lose some students, that they would go back to traditional schools once, you know, COVID, we got it under control and schools started to reopen. We only lost 7% of our enrollment in Colorado. So there was not the great exodus that I think people predicted. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think there's still families that have genuine concerns about their kids' health and COVID. And they are not ready. They're not comfortable to send their kids back to the in-person setting, especially now that we're seeing CDC lift some of the guidelines and protocols, right? Yeah. And so there's a population of families that they're just, you know, they have kids with special needs and health concerns. They're not ready to send their kids back. Um, but also we had families who even in the not most effective remote learning figured out that their kids actually liked doing school online, thrived, had benefits, and, you know, they were like, you know what, this is something good for our family, and so we want to keep pursuing this. Now, some of them have been able to continue remote schooling. Others, like if you're in a state like New Jersey that has a ban on virtual learning, some of these families, they can't go back to a brick-and-mortar setting so they're they're going the homeschool route, and so it, it's no joke. Public schools were losing enrollment pre-COVID. It has just been exacerbated since the pandemic for a variety of reasons. But yeah, the projections for public school enrollment are not great because families they're getting they're getting options and they're exercising those options. Which, I mean, we have choice everywhere else in the universe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it doesn't make sense to, you know, force a student into a learning situation where they're not thriving. Why would we do that? We don't do that anyplace else. You know, like you said, you have choice in every other aspect of your life, your, your medical care, your, where you shop for groceries. Um, you have more than one option when you go to the car dealership, you know, all we have choice in every option in every, every area of our life. Why on something so important and so, um, you know, this is the foundation of our kids' lives. Would we not give families opportunities to, um, get into situations where their kids are going to be more successful? Yeah. When we, when, like I said, when we were in it, um, fact gathering stage I clicked on somebody I want to say Corey DeAngelis but um, we'll give him credit because he's good at this stuff um, <laughs> yeah uh, he says yeah. he was saying you could pick your preschool and your, your college but why why does your zip yeah. code determine your K through 12 experience and I went oh my like you know like this hit me in that moment like oh yeah we, this is such a, a pivotal moment and this is important we make this decision to make it right but. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it, it's true. Um, you know, people talk about tax dollars and it should stay in public systems. Well, our tax dollars go to all kinds of different private enterprises all the time. But for some reason, people are so hung up on, you know, tax dollars should only go to public schools. 
I'm more of the mind tax dollars should go to the education model that's going to be the most effective for students, whatever that is. Um, and, and as you may we'll appreciate this, if if there's competition, everybody gets better. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen that. You know, studies show that, that in areas where choice programs abound, the public schools, they they adapt and they get better. Now, are they as good as we'd like them? No. Um, you know, we still know we're graduating kids who um, not enough are proficient and they're not literate and numerate. And so we've got to do better. We all have to do better. But I can't help but think we'll do better when we have students and educators in the learning environments um, that meet their needs, that align with their values, um, all of those things um, where a student feels affirmed in, in their identity and their culture. I think it's really important. And that's why options are, you know, just so important. And even, you know, within online learning, we have all different options. Within the online model, we have uh, college prep schools. We have alternative um, online schools for students who maybe are doing credit recovery or they have to work um, or they're raising children of their own, right? Then we have... Uh, online programs that are career and technical education focused. So even within the online model, we have all this diversity and all of that serves students great so that they can get into the model, the school that's going to fit them best. Now, I don't want to fall down a political rabbit hole because this is, this is that type of question, but there is something here. Now it's, yeah. it's, it's chicken and egg. Okay. Which came first? The, March. Well, obviously the March for School Choice came first, but there's this um, people out there are worried about their children being indoctrinated. I guess <laughs> to a degree, but yeah. you know, and online learning has brought about the opportunity for them to um, be in the same classroom, so to speak, and yeah. experience school together, which is a, a great thing in my mind because I've you know I never yeah. had any questions about what my kids are learning. They're learning absolutely, but for those people who do online education, presents that opportunity for them. Yeah, uh, you know, for me, it was, um, there was never a time that I didn't know what literature my student was reading, what supplemental things um, were happening. I could listen in on the lectures and the classes. I knew all the time what was going on. What was great about that was, is if there was something presented in the curriculum that didn't align with our family values, um, guess what? It was my job as a parent to say, okay, that's one way to look at it. Here's another position. Here's another idea or another way to look at this issue. And for me, that was empowering as a parent because when I sent him to the brick and mortar classroom, I had no idea what was being said to him, presented to him. And all I saw was the graded paper that came home. But as an online family, I really was a part of his everyday education, which was amazing. And like I said, it allowed us to supplement his education where we needed to, where we wanted to. Um, and to if something was presented in the public school curriculum that, you know, we didn't agree with, we could supplement. We could, you know, have an Change of ideas, which was really wonderful, and I think that was my right and responsibility as a parent to do that as well, um, to be engaged in his education. So uh, you're right. During the pandemic, a lot of families learned uh, and had a new look at how and what was being taught to their children. And a final uh, point on this subject is uh, my daughter was, they were talking about county seats and county courthouses in her history class. I think it was, or social studies. Anyways, one of the, whichever class that was. And she says, where's, you know, where's our county courthouse? And I said, you've been by it a hundred times. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. So I said, come on, let's go. Like in that moment, I said, let's get in the car and go. So I took her downtown yeah. and showed her and she's like, Oh uh, yeah, I have seen that building, but I didn't know what it was. 
and there it was. Yeah. Like it was instant and she, well, not instant, a couple minutes, but nevertheless, it, it hit instead of waiting. Well, and, yeah. Go yeah. It, and every moment is a learning opportunity, right? And when, when we first started our cyber school journey in Pennsylvania, he was studying Gettysburg and the Civil War. Well, that weekend I was like, we're going to Gettysburg. And so I was able to um, enrich his book learning, his online learning with real world learning, right? And go see it and, you know, go see Pickett's Charge and all those things and bring that to life for him. And that is one of the benefits and of online learning that I'll never take for granted that I know um, I was grateful that we were able to experience that, um, to have the flexibility to say, you know, we're learning about this. So we're going to go to a farm or, um, we're doing science experiments or biology about something and we'll go visit a museum that deals with that. That was amazing. Um, and I'm not sure he would have been able to have those experiences in the traditional setting. I know by the time his last year in the traditional public school, they had eliminated all field trips. So those learning opportunities would not have happened um, had I left it up to the school to provide it because either budget wasn't there or it wasn't in their contract and they weren't going to do it. So, (laughs) you know, um, (laughs) yeah, that, that, that unfortunately was the reality. And I wanted something more and different and I felt like he deserved it. And so that's what we did. And I'm so glad that we had that opportunity to do that. And that was an option within our public school system. Cyber charters are public schools. And instead of doing this us versus them thing, it's, we should be celebrating that we have these options within our public school system um, that's available to every student, right? Yeah. Public schools, they, they're supposed to accept all students. So this is an option that can be given to everybody. This is an equity and an inclusion um, thing, which I think we all agree is really important and that we want in our public school systems. Well, offering online learning to students, that's an equity and an inclusion benefit for our students. So before we shift gears here, I guess I do have one more question yep. about this whole process. When families are in this process, like I said I was, uh, do you have any advice for them coming out of the traditional brick-and-mortar world, how they evaluate and all that stuff? Yeah, so, you know, I, I thought a lot about this uh, over the years, and especially during the pandemic. And at Parent Support for Online Learning, um, you can go to our website, and we actually have an online toolkit for parents, and it's exactly for what you're talking about. When you're thinking, okay, the traditional setting's not for us, we want to, we want to, you know, try online. What are the questions that you should be asking of a program so that you can make the best decision for your family? So we've put together some questions. We've also contrasted it um, with the differences between a full-time program and remote learning, because sometimes there's a little confusion there. And if you experience remote learning during COVID, it is not going to be what you're going to experience in a full-time online school. There are some differences. And so we walk you through that, help you evaluate it, give you just a really good list of questions to ask different schools. Um, That way you can make the very best decision for your family. Um, So definitely go to our website. It's www.parents4.com support.com and you'll click on our resources tab and it'll say online toolkit it's a free download um i won't bother you i don't send you a bunch of junk mail or anything but that toolkit was designed just for families who are who are just starting their online journey and it just helps walk them through their options and then helps you get ready for that that first day, that first week of school, what do you need to be thinking about? 
how do you set up a routine and a schedule so that you can start off right and uh, be the most successful that you can be in the online environment. Okay, Shifting Gears is brought to you by evergreenpodcast.com. Shifting Gears is brought to you by evergreenpodcast.com. You mentioned that first day of school, and I mentioned to you earlier that I wanted to talk about the uh, back-to-school routine. I mean, uh, here in western Pennsylvania, kids start back either next week or the following week, so we're kind of getting there. So yeah. help me out here. I mean, how do parents transition from – I mean, it's a hard transition. It doesn't matter. I mean, we're kind of starting here now, but it doesn't matter. It's still going to be hard that first day, but how do parents make this transition? I think that, and this is regardless of what type of school that your kids are attending, um, but I think if you haven't started already, or if you did and you're already stressed out and feeling chaotic, take the time to invest in one, your own self-care, right? If that means going for a walk, as a parent or go get a massage or whatever it is, or, you know, it's just, you need 15 minutes when you walk in the door to just like decompress, do that. You have to be in a really good headspace because our kids, they pick up our stress, our anxieties and our tensions. Right. And if you're already stressed out, dreading school, all that, your kids are going to pick it up. So, Work on your own headspace, your own attitude. Um, get in the right frame of mind that, you know what, it's a new school year, it's a new beginning, it's a fresh start, and we're excited about it because your kids are going to pick up on that. Then get organized. Um, and I know this is hard. For families, you know, you're busy, you're juggling so much as parents, um, but as much as you can get ex- um, organized, before school starts and always the night before school, do it. If that means, you know, get in the car cleaned out, cleaning out the backpack, um, getting the lunches ready, snacks, whatever you can do, do that. Any kind of pre-organizing is just going to alleviate your stress. And when you're not stressed, your kids are going to have um, the, the temperature in the room is going to come down. And, and I'm not saying that happens every day, but the more you can be intentional about being organized and doing your own, being prepared yourself, that's going to help your kids and set the tone and, and give them, you know, the, the positive atmosphere about getting ready for school and getting to the, getting to school, doing the carpool, the bus, whatever it is, or if it's just walking into another room and logging on the computer get organized. That's the the biggest thing I think that you can do as a parent. Do everything that you can do to make it as seamless as possible. There will be hiccups um, and things you can't control. But the things that you can control, invest in the time for your own mental well-being and for your kids, too. So, thankfully, this question is asking for a friend. Uh, My kids both (laughs) enjoy going to school, but there's those kids out there who well, we'll say it. Hate it. Uh, yeah. How do we uh, help, let's throw some advice out there for a parent who has a kid that just absolutely hates it? I think the first thing you have to do is acknowledge it. I think if you, if, you know, your kid's showing, either they overtly are just telling you, I hate this place, um, or you've got to dig down, right? You've got to get granular and find out like, okay, why? What's happening here that you don't like? And the answers will vary for kids, but you know, it could be a bullying situation. Maybe there's a problem with the teacher. Um, you know, maybe it's, I don't understand what's happening in the classroom. I feel dumb or I'm bored. Like we did this last year. Why do I have to do this again? You have to get to the heart of the matter and acknowledge it and let them know that, you know what, I get it and I hear you and let's talk about things that we can do. There are some kids, school will never be their favorite thing, right? I was one of those kids, I loved school, 
like two weeks into summer break and I was like, okay, when are we going back? Um, my son, school was really hard for him. He had to work really, really hard. And so he often, he came home like tired and stressed, right? When he was in the traditional setting. And so we just had to have conversations about, you know, this may not be your most favorite thing, but what are the things that we can do to make it a better experience for you? Ultimately, that meant we left that school and we, we went to something else. And the stomach aches went away, the headaches went away, the tears, those kinds of things, right? Because your kids' frustration with, with school will show up in those ways, like physical symptoms. So you have to acknowledge it, talk about it, and figure out, is is this is this a school situation that we have to continue? If you have options, like find out what are they and exercise those options. Um, that's a huge thing. But also do things, you know, if they're getting overwhelmed with homework or whatever, chunk up the lessons. Use the Pomodoro method uh, to break it into more manageable um time to help them focus there's lots of different things and uh parent support for online learning we have um videos that talk about strategies for motivation and student engagement um just about any parenting topic we've talked about so so we have episodes of the parent exchange that you can tap into we have a curated resource list that has different you know information on tutoring and um, enrichment for your kids. So there's lots of resources out there to help you get your kids um, either excited about learning, encourage them in their learning, um, or get them the supplemental support, the wraparound support that they need um, to be happier and healthier in their school environment. So I want to give you another controversial take. Boy, we're running out of time, too. But this this one's good. You're you're, going to love this one, too. This is a controversial, in my opinion. But it is for some people out there. And I'm sure somebody's going to send me a hate email because of it. But uh, (laughs) kids in school should have free lunch. Um, You know, I think we spend our tax dollars in this country on a lot of stuff that's inconsequential or not that important. I don't have a problem feeding kids. Um, it, it doesn't bother me. Um, the hard part is, like, for our families who choose to learn in an alternative setting, our kids miss out on those opportunities, right? Well, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, so, um, so then again, it gets into, like, an equity kind of issue. Um, but, no, I, I think if you're, like I said, we we waste tax dollars on a lot of stupid stuff. I think making sure that every kid has a nutritional meal at school. I was a kid. We grew up. I didn't have, you know, I had great parents, but they were working. They didn't always have, um, you know, I was a typical, like, latchkey kid. There wasn't anybody there when I left for school, and there wasn't anybody when I got home from school. And so I I ate a lot of tortillas with peanut butter for lunch. And I think every kid, if we can give them a nutritious, well-rounded meal every every lunch hour, um, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't have a problem with it. I know you wouldn't, but I, I, there's somebody out there, like I said. Screaming and typing into their keyboard right now as we're finishing. And, and I, I, I understand all the arguments that, you know, we should be self-sufficient and all of these things. And, you know, and then people will argue about, well, have you seen school lunches and all of those things? Well, that, that's a different conversation. Hey, but For those people out there who are saying that, yes, I've seen school lunches, I've seen hospital lunches, and a lunch is better than no lunch. That's the thing, right? And I don't know. I, I was always one. I loved school lunch. I never had a problem with it. So, um, yeah, no. Let's. Uh, it's hard to learn when your when your tummy's rumbling. So, 
I, I'm I'm team feed the babies. That's that's where I'm at. And I'm also team let the kids sleep in a little bit because I know the bus around here picks kids up at six forty five, which seems wow. ridiculous to me. But. Yeah, well, and the science the science tells us particularly for our teenagers that they're not getting enough um, sleep, and so we. Well, that's because have- they don't go to bed early. Sorry. Was, well, that, was that good old guy right there? Other, yeah, a whole other set of questions. But we also know, though, that their biology, they are not wired to go to sleep at an early hour. Like 8 p.m., it's not realistic, right? Yeah. And so um, shifting those start times a little bit, um, we'll see. I, I'm sure there'll be studies, and we'll see how it affects um, learning and engagement. Um, but that was one of the benefits for us doing online. You know, no. our when we first started, our agreement was we would start school when his buddy started school in the traditional school district, and he would be done when they got off the school bus. So he could still have his baseball practice with his friends and playing and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but then once he got older... Um, you know, yeah, we started school at eight, so he wasn't on a bus at six in the dark in the winter. We live in Colorado. That's miserable. Um, and you know, as an adult, he has no problem getting up for school. He had no problem in college. Um, so all of these worries that people have about online students and their schedules and accountability, it doesn't play out. These kids, they do fine when they go into real, real, quote unquote, real world situations. Oh, Tilly. Uh, oh, boy, I look at the <laughs> clock. I've got I've got to ask you this. OK, promote. give me your website again and anything else that you want to get out there before I ask this last fun question. Sure. So our website is www.parents, the number four support dot com, parents for support dot com. And then you can find us on Facebook. We have a really robust uh, Facebook uh, group. And that you just search, search Parents for Support, Parent Support for Online Learning. And that'll get you to our Facebook group. And then we are on Twitter as well at Parents for Support. Yeah, people around here are on Twitter, just so you know. Yes. And, and I'm on Twitter um, at Tilly Elvram. Um, and I love to engage with everybody, whether you agree with me or not. Um, there's room for all viewpoints, um, but and I love to learn from other people. So hit me up on Twitter too. I love Twitter, and I love respectful conversation. Now, do we? All, we don't have Absolutely. to agree, but we just ha- as long as you're not calling me an idiot. Unless I deserve Absolutely. it. And there, yes. there are times. There are times. But anyways, yes. okay. So. <laughs> Favorite, we, we play a little rapid fire here at the end, but of course I'm looking at the clock. We might get a couple of these out, but that's okay. Sure. Good conversation. So first one, favorite breakfast. Oh, favorite breakfast. Oh, my gosh. Um, oh, well, anything with green chili. I'm from Colorado. Um, I'm Latina, and so anything with Pueblo green chili on it, I, I'm all about it. Breakfast burrito, huevos rancheros, whatever it is. You heard that. She puts Put it on her cereal. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, favorite book? Favorite? Oh, that's like picking your favorite child. Oh, that's um, next, so be I, ready. No. <laughs> I, I'm a huge, I'm a huge um, Sherlock Holmes fan since I was a kid. I love A.C. Doyle. Um, also, Jane Austen um, and Jane Eyre, I have read every year since I was 12 years old. I read it at least once a year. So, um, yeah, avid reader. Well, Tilly, thanks. I'm glad you were available tonight. This was so much fun and educational. Yeah. Bad pun. Thank, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. And I know we're roaming around a little bit different content tonight, but if you stuck through it to the end, you understand it's the Mallard Report. It's the Mallard Report. Yeah, the Mallard Report. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a good show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Take a few moments, subscribe, share, all the fun stuff. You know how to do it. I don't have to tell you. Just uh, be ready for next week. It'll be sooner than you think.
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs)